Good morning. There we go. Good morning. It is good to be here. It's good to be with our family here in, in America. And uh, I, before I get started, okay. So now would be the time that the kids need to be dismissed <laughs> to Children's Church. <laughs> so uh, if I don't know exactly how this is done, if you need to go. <laughs> If you're a kid and you want to leave, (laughs) in fact, I might leave. Just kidding. So is that, is nobody left? Is it okay? Maybe that's a good thing. So is that enough? Okay. So, well, I wanted before I begin um, just to teach you a, a, a very important Luganda word. Luganda is the main language that they speak in the village where we live, and, and uh, there's one word that's helpful. You can use it. Really, you can get by in most conversations if you just know this one word, and so let me teach you that one word. Are y'all ready? Okay. So, that's the word. In Luganda, that can mean a lot of different things. Mainly, it's like affirming something. It's saying yes or okay, I understand. And so, it's, it's pretty much the equivalent of amen. So, you know, as I'm preaching, if you'll just... <laughs> don't confuse it, though. Ugandans don't like to point. And so, this is how they point. <laughs> because it's considered rude in some context to point, and so... Um, they typically don't do it, and so don't, if I see you doing this, I'll think you want me to leave. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I noticed as, as Jen and I moved to Uganda, we've been there now for years, and one of the things that, that you first notice when you move into a different culture is all of the idiosyncrasies of that culture really stand out to you. And so you notice all these things that don't make sense or you don't understand, like, um, you don't know what that means, and so you're, you're, it's confusing at times. But one of the things that really, um, in some cases, bothered me that I didn't really understand when I first moved to Uganda is there, in Uganda, there's not the, they don't value personal space. In America, we like our personal space, um, but in Uganda, they don't value personal space. And so it, it, one time I was on a taxi and the taxis hold 15 people. I was the only person on the taxi, and this guy gets on, and he sits right next to me. Um, and so, you know, in America, that just wouldn't happen. If in, in Uganda, I mean, y'all are actually doing great this morning. There's so many people crammed into the pews. Y'all are pretty much like Ugandans this morning. Um, you, they'll sit right next to you, and, and when you're checking out in the grocery line, they walk right up next to you. And so there's just not the valuing of, of personal space. One of the things that as you pick up on these differences, what happens is after about the first year or two, then you start to see the idiosyncrasies of the culture you came from. <laughs> then you start to see, wow, that's weird. Why do we do that that way? And you begin sometimes even to see how we have weaknesses in our culture that affect the body of Christ, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you this morning about. We, we live in a, a culture where you live in community, and one of the things that the Lord is teaching me is how to live in community. 
Um, you know, in Uganda, if you have a problem with somebody in the church, you have nowhere to go. In America, you have many places to go. It's so easy to disconnect. It's so easy to go to a church in America and not really be a part of the church. It's so easy for us in America to be a part of a church or to show up and attend a church, but not be a part of the community, at least not the way that God wants us to be a part of community. In Uganda, if you have personal conflict with someone, you live with that person. They're in your life day in and day out. In America, we go to church, we leave on Sunday, and we may or may not see the people we attend church with during the week. It's not that way in Uganda. You live with the people you go to church with. And so when you live in community, you, especially when you live in community with imperfect people, are there any perfect people here? No perfect people? Good. I'm in, a, I'm in the right spot. Uh, when you live in community with imperfect people, there's going to be problems. So how do we deal with those problems? How do we live in a community with imperfect people? And that's kind of what I want to... I want to let you into what the Lord's teaching me. Just some principles. Um, but one of the things that I see about the American culture is it's hard to be in community, or I'm sorry, it's easy not to be in biblical community, even if you attend a church. Even if you are a part of the church and you go every time the church doors open, you still have the ability in America to not be connected, to avoid the people that tend to rub you the wrong way, to avoid the people that you might have conflict with. You can't do that in Uganda. And I get it. I get it. Biblical community is challenging. Is it not? It's challenging. So I think Jesus, though, gives us some principles. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at some principles. We're going to focus primarily on verses 3 through 5, but I'll start in verse 1. So how do we live in biblical community? I'll, I'll clarify it that way, biblical community with imperfect people. Jesus begins this section of the sermon with two simple words. Well, let me, let me read the passage and then I'll get into it. Judge not, Jesus says, that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray and then I'll begin. Father, we come to an important passage and I think uh, important for us as believers, Lord, because we're all imperfect. Father, we thank you that you saved us and we thank you that you're at work in our lives to to change us and mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And Father, I thank you that you do that through community. Father, I pray that you would help me, help me to communicate what's on my heart this morning regarding community. Help me to clearly communicate. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes. Help us to see how important it is to be in biblical community. 
Father, I just ask that you would use this time in a way that would be honoring to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, Jesus starts this this section of the Sermon on the Mount with uh, two words, judge not. These words seem easy enough to understand um, until you start looking at how these words are interpreted, not only in commentaries, but how they're interpreted in society. Um, it's, if, if you go out, I guarantee you, you've probably heard this verse quoted by somebody, um, and they may not even be able to tell you where this verse is in the Bible, but they know this verse, judge not. It's a favorite verse of our culture. Um, judge not is the mantra that we have in our culture. Um, and so it's important for us to understand what Jesus is talking about when he says judge not. Um, if you don't understand what he means by judge not, then the rest of this won't really make sense to you. You won't understand it. But if you understand what he means by judge not, then everything else makes sense. And so let's look at what he means. The word translated judge literally means to make a separation. It's to make a distinction. Um, probably the, the best word that I could think of that I'm, I'm hesitant to use it just because it has negative connotations is really just to discriminate, is to see something and evaluate it on the basis of whether it's right or wrong, and then to make a judgment call based on that evaluation. So Jesus says, judge not. And like I said, if you, in our culture, take a stand for holiness, take a stand for truth, someone will pull this verse out like a club and beat you over the head with it and try to beat you into a moral stupor of acceptance. They want you just to accept them and not judge them. And what they mean by that is, don't critique my lifestyle. I want to live how I want to live. And that's how many in our culture interpret this. You know, I think if you press them on the issue and, and ask them, why don't you try that the next time an officer pulls you over for speeding? The officer walks up and he's writing you a ticket. Philip, has this ever happened to you? Is he in here? Uh, and you roll down your window and you say, Hi, judge not, <laughs> lest you be judged. Um, that won't work. The officer, I'm sure he'll probably see the error of his way, tear the ticket up, and say, Please keep going. Um, Really, the officer, what he's doing is he's not judging. He's enforcing the judgment that's already been made. He recognizes the offense, and he's tasked with the job of enforcing a judgment that's made by a higher authority than either the police officer or you. So what does Jesus mean exactly if he doesn't mean that we're... We, some people claim that he's saying we can't make judgments at all, we know that's not what he's saying. What does he mean? Well, anytime there's a, a passage in Scripture that's confusing or it's hard to understand, it's hard to interpret, what do we do? We look at other places in the Bible and allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. We don't try to figure it out on our own. We don't try to make, let our society dictate to us what this verse means. We look at rather what the Bible says. So let's, let's see what the Bible says. If you'll look in the same chapter, Matthew 15, 
no, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. We are asked in these verses, in fact, Jesus tells us to be discerning, to make a judgment call. We're asked to see, is this person a false prophet or is this person preaching the truth? And he gives us criteria for that. So we know Jesus is not saying we can't make judgment calls. We're, asked, we're called to be discerning. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Did I say nine? I meant five. (laughs) Verse nine, Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you. I, I am now... And But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, but if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what, I have, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul clearly tells us that we are to judge those inside the body. Ephesians 5.11, you don't have to turn there. Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We are called to expose the darkness. So we're called to make judgments. We're called to be discerning. We are called to evaluate things in regard to whether they're right or wrong and make a judgment call. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. So we, we see from these verses that Jesus is not forbidding judgments. He's not forbidding us from making judgment calls. He's not forbidding us from being discerning or evaluating or discriminating. He is, he is forbidding in this passage in Matthew 7 a particular kind of judgment that we're prone to make, namely a hypocritical, hasty, and unmerciful judgment. And notice I said we're prone to make these. We're prone to be hypocritical, hasty, and unmerciful in our judgments. And that's what Jesus is telling us not to do. Few things will destroy true biblical community like this kind of judgment. And again, I get it. Listen, wouldn't the Christian life be easier if we didn't have to live in community? Have you ever thought that? I could just live my life by myself. 
if we didn't have to live out our Christian lives among imperfect people who sometimes offend us or do things in a way that we would prefer them not to be done, who inconvenience us with their problems, and their problems, after all, could have been avoided if they would have just listened to us in the first place. If only they would use their time the way I use my time. If only they were as smart as me. Or they led their family like I do. Or they disciplined their kids like I do. Now we're getting to the heart of what Jesus wants us to stop doing. He says, judge not. In a word, if you had to summarize it, it's pride. It's the pride of the Pharisee who stands next to the tax collector and prays, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes on all that I get. That's the heart Jesus is warning us against. And it, and it springs from pride. And that pride is in your heart. Pride's in my heart. And it creeps out whenever we're in community. Maybe I should say it this way. Community exposes the pride in our hearts. But God in His infinite wisdom and His omniscient understanding has chosen to take a group of imperfect people and put them in community. And he does this for his own glory, and he does it for a reason, I believe. You see, God is at, at work, and he has a job to do. In your life, he has a job to do in my life. And what he wants to do is, when I become a believer, I'm over here, I'm sinful, I'm wretched, and God wants to not only save me by his grace, but he wants to, over time, make me more and more like Christ. As I walk with the Lord throughout my life, you should see some progression. You know, we're, we're declared righteous at the moment of our salvation. But then Jesus starts this process called sanctification, and he starts to chip away at our life. He starts to mold us. He starts to take away the things that aren't like him. And he does it not only in our actions, but he does it in our attitudes. He does it in our thoughts. And he slowly, and he pulls us along, and he chips away, and he makes us more and more like Christ. Until one day, we'll see him face to face. But until then, we're on this process. And you know what? Jesus has designed this process so that I can't do it by myself. I can't become more like Christ without other people. I need the body of Christ to move me along in this process of sanctification. I can't do it by myself. So how do we do this? Let's, let's turn back to Matthew 7. And I think there's some principles here. Let me just make a couple of observations. I'll make two observations if you want to take notes, but either way, I'll make two observations, and then I'll have two um, applications. Jesus says in verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Let me just read verse 4 too. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You know, th- this illustration that Jesus uses is, if you think about it, it's pretty funny. I mean, here's, and sad at the same time. I mean, here's a guy, it says he has a log in his eye. Literally, it's a beam. The guy has a beam hanging out of his eye. And yet he's over trying to pull out a piece of sawdust in his brother's eye. It's really a funny and sad illustration altogether. And so what, what do we make of this? And how is this going to help us live in community? The first observation I'd like to make is that our own sin has a blinding effect on us. Our own sin has a blinding effect on us. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, we all have the ability to have beams in our eyes and not see them. We all have the ability to go focus on a speck of dust in someone else's life, all the while we have a beam hanging out of our eye because our sin has a blinding effect. We don't see our sin clearly. Sin is deceitful, and we've become hardened, and we can become hardened to our own sin. And the question that I ask myself, that I'd ask you this morning, is do you have a healthy fear of how deceitful sin is in your life? Or do you just think sin's no big deal? I can just continue doing what I'm doing. It's no big deal. Sin is deceitful, and it'll destroy your life, and it destroys your relationships. Jeremiah points out in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand the heart? It's deceitful. It's desperately sick. Not only are we blind to our own sin, but we tend to minimize the sin that we do see in our lives. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how you tend to be very gracious with yourself? (laughs) You tend to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. But, buddy, you see a speck in somebody else's eye. <laughs> Listen, we, don't, we tend not to see the sin in our lives, and we tend to minimize the sin that we do see. We're very gracious and forgiving when it comes to our weaknesses and to our sins. We're quick. We're quick to justify ourselves. This first observation. Second observation. Our own sin can cause us to magnify the sins of other people. This man who has a beam in his eye in Jesus' illustration focuses on and is intent on getting the speck out of his brother's eye. Sin in our lives causes us to magnify sin in other people's lives. And I'm not just talking about in community, it's not always about sin. Sometimes it's about preference, but we magnify what we consider faults in other people's lives. 
or we'll focus on them in areas where we have strengths or giftings and put them down because we see their weaknesses in that area. We, we tend to try to perform eye surgery all the while we don't deal with the beam in our own eye. We need to be more gracious with the faults of other people. We need to be more gracious. Understanding that we have a tendency to elevate preferences in our lives to principles. It's like the police officer. Can you imagine a police officer pulling you over? He comes and knocks on your window. You roll it down. What did I do wrong, officer? I don't like the car you drive. This is a sports car. I know you're about to speed. And if you didn't, I mean, if you're not about to, you've already done it. Let me just write you a ticket anyway. That's what we tend to do. Or, you know, I don't really don't like your sunglasses. I'm going to write you a ticket. We elevate our preferences to the level of principle. That's why the Word of God is so important. We must use the Word of God. It's our authority. It's the one who made the law. And when we, when we approach a brother or sister, let's be careful we're not elevating our preferences. Make sure you're, you're focused on the right things. If you would, turn in your Bibles. I, I think there's a perfect illustration of, of these two observations. That number one, first observation is, who can tell me? Yeah, blind, sin has a blinding effect. We don't tend to see our sin. Second observation? Right, we magnify the sins of other people. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I think there's a, a picture here that will help us, help us see this illustrated. You'll, you'll know the story when you get there. This is the story of David. David has uh, taken Bathsheba. Um, committed adultery with her, and then in an effort to cover his tracks, he has her husband, Uriah, killed. I'll start reading in verse 1. So the Lord sends the prophet Nathan to David. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, and one rich and the other poor, the rich man had, a, had very many herds and flocks, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he, which he bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup. I turned the page too quickly. And lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Notice that. David's anger greatly kindled. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he, sh- and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David sees with vivid clarity the sin. So much so that it says he became greatly 
angered, and rightly so. But David's sin was worse. David's sin was worse. David has a beam in his own eye. And he wants to deal with the speck in somebody else's. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Well, let me just stop there. Nathan says to David, You are the man. How often are we greatly angered at a situation or at someone else or just greatly agitated? And can we look at ourselves and if we honestly evaluate ourselves, we probably have something similar going on. Maybe not to the same degree. So our sin not only blinds us to our own sin, but it also causes us to magnify the sins of other people. Let me give you two principles that I think will help us live in community in a biblical way with imperfect people. Realizing the fact that we have this ability in ourselves because of sin to overlook our own, to minimize our own, and at the same time, Focus on and magnify the sin in other people's lives. First principle, deal with the log in your eye. Our primary responsibility in living in community is to deal seriously with the sin in our own lives. That's our primary responsibility. We must, I must, be in the habit of diligently examining my heart on a daily basis. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Another translation is watch over your heart. Why? Because sin blinds us to our own areas of weakness and our own sin. Watch over your heart vigilantly. Do you get the importance of that verse? He's not just saying, if you have time, look over your heart. If you have time today, take some time and sit down and examine your heart. He's saying, watch over your heart with all vigilance, with all diligence, because it's from your heart that the springs of life flow. And so we need to be careful that we're watching our hearts, we're examining our hearts, we're seeking, God, search me, the psalmist writes, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search me, God. Do we take time to examine our own hearts, to keep a clear conscience, to deal with the beams in our lives, in our eyes. Psalm 19.12 says, Who can discern his errors? Really the answer implied in that psalm, because it's all about the Word of God, 
And the Word of God can discern our errors. Commit yourself to a, not just a Bible reading time, so you can check it off the list and get about your day. Commit yourself to a time in the Word where you examine your heart, where you say, God, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And let his word that's sharper than any two-edged sword discern error in your life. Who can discern his errors? You can't own your own. And you, apart from the word of God, secondly, I would say you must humbly seek the correction of other people. Remember the the real monster here is our pride. The real problem is our pride. You know, when you go to a brother or a sister and you say, you know what? What faults do you see in me? Have you tried that with your spouse? It's a great place to start. Humbly seek the correction, the insight of other people. Since we are, we tend to be blinded to our own sin, we can have a, a, a a beam hanging out of our eye and not see it. We need other people to speak into our lives. Proverbs fifteen thirty two says, "Whoever ignores instruction despises himself." Let a righteous man strike me, and it is kindness. Let him rebuke me, and it is oil for my head. Do you have the humility, the teachability, to go to someone? And say, what weaknesses do you see in me? Because listen, we all have them. And we don't see them. At least we tend to overlook them. And so, if you're going to spend time with other people in a community, in a real biblical community, I'm not talking about superficial community, I'm talking about a real biblical community. If you're committed to that, you're going to start seeing faults in other people. You, you spend time with me, and you'll see faults pretty quickly. In about an hour, you'll be able to evaluate me pretty, pretty thoroughly. But do we have the humility to ask people, hey, what do you see in my life? We need to do that because we don't tend to see it ourselves. And when they point something out, you're humble enough to ask for forgiveness where needed. If someone comes to you and points out how you've offended them, do you tend to justify yourself? Or do you accept responsibility and ask for forgiveness? You see, our pride wants to justify, our pride wants to overlook our sin, to minimize our own sin. But we'll point it out in your life. I'll point it out in your life very quickly. Second application Our second responsibility, let me put it that way, is to love our brothers and sisters enough to help take the speck out of their eye. You notice in this passage, Jesus never tells, in the illustration, the man is never told not to deal with the speck. In fact, he says, deal with the speck, but do it in the right way. First, deal with your sin And you see, the beauty of this is, is when we deal with our sin, when I'm humble enough to go to the word of the Lord and say, God, search me and try me. And I'm humble enough to go to other people and say, 
hey, what areas in my life do you see where I need to change? Then you know what? You're at the right place. You are, you are exactly where you need to be to go to a brother and deal with this back. Because you're going to go to that person in humility. You're going to go to that person in gentleness. And you are the right person to do the job. Jesus tells him, deal with the log, and then you're ready, you're humble, you're loving, and you're ready to help a brother or sister who needs correction. I do think it's important for all of us to realize that when we approach somebody else and we're going to deal with an issue, we must exercise great caution. You know, I think that's why Jesus here uses the metaphor of the eye You know, your eye is one of the most sensitive organs. To my knowledge, it is the most sensitive organ that we have. You start messing with my eye, and I'm going to avoid it. In fact, I went to the optometrist uh, last week, and they did that little test where you put your chin up on the thing, and they shoot a little bit of air. And, And really, it's not much air. But every time, I could barely hold my chin there. Like, every time I knew she was about to do it, I started to pull back. I don't like people messing with my eye. I'm glad I don't have to wear contacts because I really don't think I could put contacts in. But I think that's important for us to understand. You're dealing with someone's eye. Be careful. Approach with caution. Approach with prayer. Approach with wisdom. But we are called to deal with the speck. So how do we do that? How do we involve ourselves in community to the degree where we have the right, can I say it that way, the right to deal with the speck in a brother's eye? Yes, we've dealt with the log in our eye. How do we live in community in a way where we have the right? Because that's our job. We are helping people We're walking side by side, if you will, in community in this sanctification process. Yes, God's working on me. He's working on my heart. But do you know what he uses most of the time to change me? Other people. And he uses other people when I'm in situations that I don't like something that they've done. And so it takes us coming together and working together. We walk side by side. We walk in community But we have to be involved in other people's lives. That's the danger of living in American Christianity. It's so easy to pull apart. It's so easy for us not to have life-on-life experiences where we're living together in community. So, you have a challenging task. It's easy for me in Uganda. I don't have a choice. I live with these people, they live with me. We have to be involved. How can we, how can you make decisions where you're more involved in people's lives? Well, I would say, first and foremost, be hospitable. And I know you hear it, and we think we're doing it. (laughs) Be hospitable. Be inconvenienced by other people in your home. Have other families over on a regular basis just to get to know them. Find out, 
Ask them questions about their lives and pray with them. And you'll start to see how God will start using you in these relationships to chip and build. And occasionally, a lot of times it'll be positive. It won't be a negative thing. You won't have to go in and deal with some issue. But occasionally you will. You do it in the right way and they'll receive it. Our time is so precious. And I'm afraid that we tend to waste it. I believe that one of Satan's greatest strategies is to get us so busy, so busy doing good things that we don't do the best things. If you're too busy to be involved in a community in the body of believers, then you're too busy. If you can't be a part of the body of Christ, you're too busy. So first, get involved in the lives of other people. Think outside the box. Do things that force you into community. But secondly, when you do notice areas that you feel the Lord prompting you to deal with, approach it with great prayer and wisdom. Be gentle, but ask bold questions. Now, some of you don't have a problem with this, and you can just tune me out right now. But for most of us, we're not very good at asking bold questions. We tend to think, I'm going to live and let them live, live and let live. That's great. Um, but ask, learn to ask bold questions, questions that get to the heart, questions that get into people's lives. Um, and some of you guys are great at this. I'm growing. I'm not very good at this. Questions like, and you could make up your own, how are you doing spiritually? Are you encouraged in the Lord? How are you doing battling lust? What's the Lord teaching you? The list can go on and on and on. And the more you know the person, the better you can Ask good, bold questions. We need to be gentle because we are dealing with the eye, but we need to be bold. We need to, we need to get out of our comfort zones and ask good questions. Then we'll see ourselves in community, and iron will start to sharpen iron. But it's only when we open ourselves up, we deal seriously with our sin, and we're committed to the community, to the body of Christ. Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. James 5, 19 and 20. James writes, My brothers, if... Anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I know if you're like me, you have challenges, you have struggles. I know there's not a person in this room that doesn't need to be encouraged, that doesn't need to be exhorted from time to time. I know there are people in this church, and I'll, all of the testimonies were great this morning, but there are people in this church 
like Brian before he came to Christ, like Mary, and we don't know because we're too busy. We're not involved in community, and we're not asking good questions. Ask God to give you boldness. Ask God to help you see how you can get more plugged in. And I understand there are circumstances that would prevent some people from doing that. But for most of us, we're too busy. Living life in community is not easy. It's not. And many seek to escape it by not really being a part. But what God has called us to is worth the price. What he has called us to is true biblical community that we walk arm in arm, growing day by day more like our Savior and until the day that he returns and calls us home and we'll be made perfect We still need to walk arm in arm in community, strengthening, encouraging, exhorting, lifting up. Those are the things we need to be about in this body. And again, I realize your job in this culture is much more challenging than mine. I understand that. I get it. But we need to be better about it, and we need to find ways of doing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you called us. You didn't call us to be lone ranger Christians. You didn't call us to live life in isolation. But Lord, that's so easy for us. In many ways, we want that. We desire that. But God, you've called us to something more. You've called us to live in community. You've called us to be a body, a family, a family of believers who love each other enough to occasionally come by and say, hey, you know what? I see the speck. Lord, give us, give us your eyes. Give us your heart for people. Help us, Lord, to to be serious about our own sin and help us to be bold when we encounter other people. Father, we just want to be pleasing and honoring to you. And Lord, I pray that Calvary would be a body of believers that would live in community in such a way that people would see something different and go, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that family. Father, exalt yourself in this church. Proclaim your name to this community. Proclaim your name to this city through this church. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.